Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Gig App Podcast by Para 2024. Um, David and I are here right now, so I want look, David. Thank you. This is you guys all know David. He's the CEO of Para. He's my co-host here. So um, we're love we're loving doing this. I to uh, do the, the matching hat day today. We didn't. Yeah, we yeah, so, yeah. So don't don't call it dorky because everything's balanced. The blues and yes, we are going to have a guest today. He is joining us a couple minutes late. Um, Bryant Greening has been a friend of mine for about eight years, and they've been around for about 10 years with Legal Rideshare. Um, it's the only fully committed gig only um, accident and that kind of stuff, attorneys. He used to do more, and we'll go through some of that, but he is the guy to know. And when he does join us, you guys, make sure you put that in your head legalrideshare.com or at Legal Rideshare on almost every social platform, because as he'll tell you here today, and as you'll learn, he's a great guy. But also, and he's very wise, but also he will give everybody, anybody a free consultation because he was doing a lot of the deactivation stuff. And we can talk a little bit about that because he did some amazing things. And actually, it'll, you'll probably remember this when we talk about it too, David, <clears throat> some of the things he did during the pandemic. Yep, they were actually that. pretty amazing because he didn't, guys, when he joins us, you'll know this, but he didn't have to do this stuff. He was trying to fill a void where the rideshare companies made promises they didn't keep. And that's pretty sad. You know, I mean, he doesn't have the kind of money to do that, but he was trying. And then it just became how many people were pouring into him for deactivations. He couldn't handle it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously that has to be a whole new mechanism. I, you know, heard a lot. I know legal rideshare, obviously. And yeah no i mean legal you know there's a couple others that have popped up and i'm sure they're good and brian's out of chicago but as the website and he will tell you he can represent people in any state um and has um lots of winnings for them um and not only that if he has a free consultation with you and like you know he, he might just like write a letter on your behalf and here's something i can tell you some people that have been deactivated even that letter on a on legal rideshare letterhead almost i almost feel like it makes doordash or lift or whoever deactivated you not even look into why you were deactivated but just reactivate you <laughs> like dude this is legal letterhead just reactivate him. <laughs> and what does it say it doesn't just reactivate them we don't need that <laughs> yeah there's like <laughs> i mean honestly i'm, I'm I, lucky i always joke i have a, I have a sister sister who's a lawyer and sometimes if you need something you're just like can you send them a letter just you know represent me a little bit you know and usually it works which yeah. is surprising right like yeah yeah i have a really good friend who is a couple times in my life had to represent me so we're in this weird zone now because i don't want to ask for anything free and he's done me so many either cutting down the bill or whatever but yeah i think you guys if you haven't met bryant before or even if you have stick around because you're gonna like this guy a lot um and he knows his game and he doesn't he's he's kind of that that uh you know that scrappy bulldog that you'd want like yeah. you can tell like he's the nicest guy in the world to you but he doesn't think much of these companies yeah so, so Steve, and he fully he, gets it i know he's gonna come in in like five minutes or something like that so you know in the five minutes before the time he comes on it's been a pretty mm -hmm. chill week right not much not much going so on. i already my the show i do on wednesday last mile which is around yeah. like all last mile couriers i didn't even talk about one app yesterday the whole thing i talked about this yeah, really no, I, I really didn't plan on it. Actually, the first 20 minutes, and I just put I just put a cut version up, you guys, on the Para channel here. So when you're done, 
there's a video that I dropped about a half hour ago that is about the driver's rights movement, because this is a time that you should absolutely, if you haven't signed up, driversingularrights.org, go there. We walked through it yesterday. I know I got about 15 people signed up during the live. Um, everybody that was doing it said it took about two minutes. I pulled it up on the screen. I shared it. I showed you how to do it. Now that video is cut up into a 15-minute video on the Para channel. So you can see exactly how to sign up, what those benefits are. We walked through it all. Um, so you guys will like that. But I think more than ever, it now is the time to do that because we don't really know what's coming anywhere. In fact, David and I backstage, we're talking about this DOL rule change. And I know I've seen a lot of people saying a lot of things. And today, more than not, I've seen some people commenting on some things about like, well, they're not going to do it to the gig workers. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. Like yesterday, I posted 10 articles on the website and all of them, some of them allude to that's the first target, but all of them at least say they will come. The only thing, the only article that says they won't be coming after them was like a Forbes and it was like a, um, like a clickbait title because when you got in there, it was, it was a true article, but it was just the Uber and Lyft rep saying this won't affect us. Of course they say that. They're not going to say this is going to totally affect us because that gets people in panic. So right now they're just, I mean, even if they know it, they're playing it like, oh yeah, that's not going to, while they try and like strategize in war room because look, nobody, we knew this was coming. We've talked about this many times, um, but uh, maybe we'll have a little time here at the end to talk about it because it looks like Bryant has just joined us. But you guys, if you have not, seen anything about the DOL change, if you don't know what we're talking about, like I said, about a half hour ago, I just dropped the video here on the Twitter channel, but 15 minutes long, perfectly just, we talked about it and driver's rights. Check it out. But first we're going to bring Brian up here. And Brian Greening, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm sorry yeah. I'm a couple minutes late here. Oh, you're you're fine. So, Bryant, this is uh, David. Great to meet you. Uh, a lot about you. Yeah, David, it's great <laughs> to meet you, too. So, so um, even I didn't coordinate this today. We just happened to wear yeah, this. We don't do this normally. <laughs> it was just, they're both the pair of hats. We didn't just random. No, I, I, love I wish I had one. <laughs> um, so this week, like I was telling you guys, we are joined by Bryant Greening. Bryant is the CEO and founder of Legal Rideshare. Um, and as I was kind of talking about, but we didn't get it into it really, was it? Legal Rideshare was launched about 10 years ago. I feel like I've known you about eight years. Yeah, I <laughs> think that's so. right. We, I mean, we go way back now. It's crazy. Way back, yeah. Because I mean, I was doing, it was my early days of Rideshare. I remember you being around and here I am in Denver and the person I found to connect to is in Chicago. It's Brian. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, because he really has a stronghold on this. I don't even, I know there's other firms that do this and there's even some now here in Denver that take it on, but they're also doing so many other things that they're not really giving it the focus. I know you guys do. Yeah. You know, when we started, uh, it's, it's been about 10 years now, we were really rising with the rideshare companies. So the, the way that I really got the idea for legal rideshare was I'm walking around and I see cars with the big pink mustaches on them. And I'm like, what the hell is this? You know, who are these people? Mm -hmm. And and I do a little bit of research and, and realize that rideshare is now in Chicago. And um, people start coming to us and, and asking questions about like, 
you know, hey, what do I do if I'm in an accident? Does the insurance coverage protect me? And at that time, I didn't know the answers. So I, you know, I start poking around and trying to figure out what are the protections? What are the rights? And one thing leads to another. And within about a year, we've got, you know, a law firm set up and a brick and mortar uh, firm ready to go. And, and we're serving the rideshare community and, and growing with rideshare really in real time. Yeah. So when did you, how soon, how long, even with your law degree and everything, you know, did it take you to go, wait a minute, there's nothing's defined here and there's some really <laughs> sketchy stuff going on. Well, to be honest, not very long at all. It, it was pretty clear that everything was, was happening so quickly that there were not defined rules that um, the rideshare companies had bulldozed their way into these communities. And I mean, we saw it in Chicago, there was zero enforcement, the taxi industry was just dying, as the rideshare companies were breaking all the rules that were put in place to protect those drivers. And while that really helped the rideshare community grow quickly, and frankly, I, I think we can credit where rideshare is today with that that early foundation, it put drivers in both the taxi world and the rideshare world at risk because there were just there was no definition as to what these workers were. Were they employees? Were they independent contractors? What their protections were? How much insurance was necessary? What do you do if you get injured on the job? Like none of that was there, and it wasn't being handled by the rideshare companies, the cities, the states, the federal government. It was just all a free for all. So I, I gotta I gotta mention this because I was I almost accidentally mentioned it before you even here, is that. And I know David remembers this too, because we were doing stuff at this time. But for those of you that don't know, like during the pandemic, Uber and Lyft, I believe it was just the two, were offering some payment if you got, am I even allowed to say it yet, guys? I don't even know if I'm allowed to say it on YouTube. <laughs> but if, if, you got, if you got the pandemic, if you had it during the pandemic in the early days, they were giving you a certain amount of money to try and take a couple weeks off. And as I remember it, almost upon launch, like is no, no like they're notorious for, they just maybe paid like 5% of the people. The other ones they said, "No, nah, we're not going to do it." And even though they pretty much met the criteria. And I got to say like that's something that really like I remember I already knew Bryant, but I was like that's pretty cool cuz I remember when you guys were trying very hard to do we'll cover some of that. Yeah. Yeah, it was something that was really important to us because we saw the effects that the pandemic was having on drivers in two regards. One, drivers were treated as, you know, as vital um, essential workers, where meaning that they were some of the only people that could be on the road and they were putting themselves at risk um, for infection. Um, anytime that they got a passenger in the car, they didn't really know who that person was, where they'd been, if they'd been exposed. So they were more likely to get um you know, to, to catch the, the virus than, than others. Um, and then also when they did get the job or catch a virus, there was no avenue for them to make a living. You know, most traditional employees could tap into some resources, whether they had sick time or temporary uh, disability or, you know, government funds. Rideshare drivers did not have access to that at the beginning. Um, so we said, we're going to do something. We're going to tap into our pockets and, and provide some payment if you can establish that, that you're off the road for a period of time because you're sick. So we were sending $500 to drivers who you know, met that threshold. And it just allowed them a little breathing room to take some time off, get better, 
um, not expose other people. You know, that we didn't want drivers continuing to work and, and you know, spreading um, the, the illness that way. So we saw it as a win-win um, and it was really just, a, you know, something that we felt we had to do for this community that is really important to us and, and we're a part of. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I know for a while you were doing um, consultation and I know you still do consultations for everybody. And so that's guys, if you ever need a consultation, don't bother calling other people because it's so easy to remember legalrideshare.com or at legal rideshare and pretty much all the social platforms you'll find them. And even though they're in Chicago, the website, everything he can tell you, they handle cases all around the country. So it doesn't matter that where they are. Um, but I know for a while you were trying to do the help people out who were wrongfully deactivated. And I know that just turned into like the floodgates couldn't hold it anymore. <laughs> you know, yeah, like I think you were even surprised. Like, <laughs> wait, what? Um, so I know that that's changed a bit. I know you still represent drivers in every way, but what do you tell drivers when they call now on that regard? Well, it, what's unfortunate about the deactivation is, first of all, from our perspective, we're a personal injury law firm. So we help people who have been injured on the road and, and have medical bills, lost wages relating to bodily injuries, things like that. So we're not a labor and employment law firm, but we saw this need where people were getting deactivated and still are without any recourse, no due process. And it's like one day the, the light switches on and the next day it's off. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we were um, sending out letters for a long period of time to the rideshare and delivery companies um, just from a law firm saying, put this person back on. You haven't established any reason why they should be terminated. And if you have a valid reason, give it to them. You know, if, if you if there's a safety violation that we're not aware of, just explain that to them. So at least they know the reason. That's always been the sort of super convoluted yeah. part to me, right? Is when you ask, hey, like, why have I been deactivated? I remember the party line for a while was like, I can't tell you because by telling you that risks your independent contractor status, which always sort of blew my mind, right? I'm like, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's this catch 22 in this like loop of, of confusion where they don't give any information and they don't give any information because they don't want to create control. And it's just fundamental fairness requires that somebody knows why they don't have a job anymore. You know, it's. And then I the just, frustrating part is then you go and then you ask a bunch, you follow up six times and ask why. And then eventually they go, Oh, sorry, that was our mistake. Now you're back. And you're just like, this makes no sense. <laughs> and that honestly, David, that's the best case scenario. Like you, that, that frustration that, you know, you, you're chasing your tail for, for a month and you feel like nobody's paying attention to you and you're frustrated and you're not earning any money. And then like, by the grace of God, they let you back on the platform. Like that's, that's a winning story. How ridiculous is that? That it, that it needs to, to play out that way. There should be a, a mechanism to get the facts, to challenge the decision. And look, I'm a lawyer. I want safe, lawful people to be on these rideshare platforms. And if there's a reason why a, a particular person should not be, then boot them. Great. But the vast majority of cases are miscommunications or some other sort of... Um, I mean, we already know for a fact some people do it for a free $8 ride. Someone's calling for a consultation right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, you know, stop. 
but we do know that we know for a fact that you know some people um um i forgot what i just said but you know there's no rhyme or reason to the deactivations right yeah it's it's totally i mean you could be deactivated because they put in the wrong number by one that relates to the data but you didn't even drive the day they're talking about Right. Do you think like, do you think it really is the classification thing? And the reason I asked that is like, I've worked at Uber, right? So I'd helped launch Uber in Las Vegas. I worked in operations, sort of overseeing the desert region. And when you, this is like 2015 to 2017. And if you would have asked me back then why this deactivation thing was happening, frankly, the answer would just be incompetence. We were drowning. We didn't have any systems. That's why you'd get, you know, five different people saying five different things. Uh, the companies have changed since then, right? I mean, it's been five years that are public companies. Things have changed. I think the other way I view it too is we had a user, Stephanie, who ended up getting elected to the Colorado State uh, like State House, which is awesome. Right? She ended up introducing a bill. So it was a gig worker who introduced a gig worker's bill, which was great. And it had a couple of just very basic tenets, one of which was you should be able to challenge your deactivation and get a valid reason why. And yeah. I think what DoorDash really publicly said is, if this law goes into place, it will punish anybody who is a sexual assault survivor or who points the finger at a driver and just sort of hiding between this idea of like security, right? You know, for security reason, we can't tell you any reason why. Uh, what? Why do you think they actually don't want to say it? Well, I, I think it's easier for them to First of all, operationally, it's much easier to just boot somebody off than do the investigation. Um, It costs a lot of money if there's any sort of challenge process, if they have to have arbitrators or judges and juries or or even just support staff dedicated to this. That's a whole new department for them. So I, I really think the first reason is just the cost and the logistics. Um, the second is when you do start allowing these these sorts of um, challenges and you know communications, it does create one more level of proximity or, or closeness between the driver and the company. And these companies are founded on the independent contractor status. So any way that that there can be any argument that the company and the driver are closer, it scares the hell out of the company because they don't want to lose that relationship. As soon as the drivers become employees of the company, the whole business model changes, as does the earnings structure. That makes sense. I remember at the time, the biggest no-no you could do is like refer to a driver as a driver. I remember we'd always be driver-partner, driver-partner, right? I think now it's earner, earner basically, but that doesn't yeah. make sense. Well, if you're, but if you're an independent contractor and you work for a contractor building a house, and let's say you're the plumber he decided to go with, he can absolutely tell, and he probably would have to tell you why he's letting you go. <laughs> if he says, sure, I'm going to take you on for this project. And halfway through, he's like, you're done, man. I hate this. He's going to yeah. have to say something to you. Well, I think that the the legal obligations when there's an independent contractor, there's there's far less. Like I tell drivers all the time who get deactivated, I'm really sorry that this happened to you, but because of the status, the independent contractor status, they could fire you because they don't like the color of your shirt. You really have no protections other than like the constitutional protection about they can't fire you because of your gender or your race or or things like that. But everything else is really just their discretion. Um, mm-hmm. And there's there doesn't have to be an explanation, but there, I think that if you're going to run a company like this and people are going to change their entire lifestyle, like they're going to leave their 
traditional job and buy a car to come work for you, I think you owe them something. You, I'm not to David, to your point about the, the sexual assault, uh, survivors, I'm not trying to advocate that we take that, that person's voice away by any means that driver, if that person has been accused of something horrendous, they probably should be off the platform. And they, if there's some reason why it needs to be investigated further, that can be done privately. And that can be done, um, in ways that, that are respectful, but there's two sides to, to every story. And if you're going to take away somebody's livelihood, I think they at least deserve some sort of investigation or due process. I agree. And I think it's just sort of convenient to hide behind that case, basically, because like, obviously nobody wants that, right? Like, come on. Yeah. But we're um, all in agreement. You know, we're all in yeah, agreement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. that's like the, the majority. I guess the analogy for Steve with the sort of, uh, you know, you're working on piping is like, person can tell you, can tell you to leave and you no longer have work and give you no reason, but that's an asshole thing to do. Right. <laughs> well, there'd have to also be a workout of, I mean, if you, if, if I worked out a thousand dollars to do this plumbing job and I got two thirds into it, there's going to have to be a conversation Yes, because I've invested parts. I've invested, I've invested time. So it can't just be, Hey, here's a hundred bucks. I don't want you doing it anymore. Whoa, right. whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm more than a hundred in here, buddy. <laughs> yeah. No, the, and, and there would be recourse in that regard. Your expenses that you've incurred that would be recoverable. There, you know, there's there's essentially contract law that protects that painter or that plumber or you know, the, the that independent contract that you're talking about. And the courts and the legislatures just haven't caught up with rideshare and, and gig work in that same way. And for that reason, these these workers are extremely vulnerable. Yeah. So Yup is in Michigan and he's saying, you know, um, people think you are protected at W2, but most companies don't need a reason to let you go. And not only that, I've said things like um, people who graduate college now, I saw a study that said like you're most likely to work for five to seven companies before you retire, even if you stick with the career you're in. So we don't live in an era where you get out of school and you go to GM and retire with GM anymore. Right. You don't get the gold watch. And you're <laughs> right. That stuff's gone. So the, what I consider W-2 protections are also very much gone. But that doesn't mean become an independent contractor. But I would say it means be very careful about being a W-2 worker. Well, in traditional in employment relationships, yes, most of us are at-will employees and can be fired for, for pretty much any you know, unprotected reason, but there's HR departments and there's federal and state protections such as unemployment that you can right. tap into. So there's a lot of benefits that that worker gets when they are let go rather than just a pink slip that says, okay, good luck. Like there, there's resources available that yeah. aren't there at gig work. So as a lawyer, before, before I talk about a couple other things here, but um, as just as a lawyer, would you think there's any kind of way to ever have like my data that Uber, that when I click TOS, any of the apps, but I click TOS, yes, I need to work, fine, update. I agree. I didn't read it. I don't care. When I do that and in there, Uber says that they can sell your data. Do you think there's any path to having some of that money they collect from your data go to portable benefits? You know, I'd be lying to you if I thought if I said that I I'm an expert in that that um, path. I mean, does does that thought interest you though? Sure, of course it does because I, 
when look, data is extremely valuable and yeah. we're seeing more and more state, particularly state laws that are passed that protect da uh, data. And these companies better be very careful that they're following those rules because when they breach those rules, there's huge settlements that, that take place. And I've seen them in, in various states now. Um, I think Facebook just had to pay one, you know, there, there's, um, there are major issues and I think they would be it would be beneficial for these gig companies to be proactive in saying this is how we're using your data and you know we're using it in a way that's going to benefit you too that may save their skin later yeah. siphon a small percentage of, of it all <laughs> you know benefit it also might get some of this um rule change stuff and some of these state legislations off their back a bit because that's a big sign of good faith to say hey man we're putting into these people because i know for a fact every state pushing legislation one of their big concerns is retirement mm -hmm. or what are these people they they're and even medical they're afraid dude what are we going to do for 20 years of these two generations that did this and nobody paid into any system right no i think it's a great idea and it is a, a showing of good faith and i think ultimately what people want is to see drivers being protected now and in the future so I, me personally, I don't really care how they pay for it. The companies, if they can use their resources to fund driver protections, do it however they want to. And that seems like a really creative way to, to fund it. And, and probably um, it's extra money to them at this point. You know, it's not. Plus, I'd be a lot happier to know that the more I worked, the more they were selling my data, I'd actually be OK with it instead of like mad and wondering where it is knowing that, oh, that's getting me more portable benefits. It I would like totally really change you, my mind. I really like how you put it there, Sharp. I was like, I think most people want protections and benefits for drivers. And there's always this fight about how you do it or what the approach is. And that makes sense, right? I mean, there's devil's always in the details, but I do sort of agree with what you're saying there, which is going back to sort of the conversation we kicked this off with, right? It's like how you got involved in, hey, when the pandemic began, like mm -hmm. there yeah. were no protections basically, right? Uh, I do want to poke on something there, which is like, now I need to know how the two of you met. Because I actually, at that moment, talking about sort of like uh, the pandemic, that's actually how I met Steve. So oh, yeah. at the time we were trying to do sort of like an unemployment calculator, basically, where it's just like, hey, we know it's really confusing. Here's what the PPP IDL EY will pay you. And for each of the different states, what you should do, basically, because back then it was like super confusing. Some states were like, hey, apply and get rejected and apply again. And some were like, hey, apply and get rejected and chill. And some were like, hey, don't apply. Right. Sort of like we built a little tracker that kept this up to date. And this guy in the comment section kept being like, you're wrong, you're up to date. It's not up to date, it's wrong. You're an asshole, it's wrong. And after like, yeah, and after, <laughs> after three or four days, I was just like, dude, how about like, you want access to help me edit it also? Right. <laughs> That's how our friendship began. Awesome. <laughs> to be honest, I think that the way that him and I were initially hooking up was he was still building the company. This is way back when. And it was, Jer I think Jared was still there too. I mean, he is now, but I believe he's still there and I stuck to him. And I was coming to you almost weekly with like three or four driver questions for the podcast. Yeah. I, and I was like, Brian, what about this, this, and this? And you're like, Twitter. it wasn't at a point where he was like, just refer him to me yet. But it was... He'd give me the answers and I'd talk about it on the podcast next week. And then somewhere around 25 episodes in, I had him on. So he was on pretty early. Yeah. 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 I think you, you DM'd me on Twitter and that's how it all started. 
There you go. Mm-hmm. It's all the same, man. It's all the same. <laughs> <laughs> at least he told. At least he didn't think you were wrong. He, he tried yeah, I, I think he out. was a, a little more polite to me. It sounds like. Than he to you. <laughs> I don't think. I don't think I was as mean as David's saying either, though. <laughs> you know, Maybe. unfortunately for for one of you, I think it's in writing, so we could just pull up the transcripts and see who's right. <laughs> um, but so legal rideshare being in Chicago. So you're again, I mean, I mean, you might be other a familiar, but are there other, first of all, are there other legal firms doing this? So um, there are some other firms that are branding themselves in, in a similar way. Um, we, we were the first in the country to do this. And, um, you know, it's a, it's an industry where there's a lot of um, potential cases. So I, we've seen a lot of copycats, um, but I would say in terms of this being the focus, protecting rideshare drivers and gig workers, I don't, I don't see another firm out there that, that is taking that angle. Most of the other firms that are um, marketing this way are kind of a catch-all. They're, you know, yeah, exactly. Exactly what I was going to say. I'm starting to see them on the, those TV. Ad, and, and so anyway, my point is one of Ryan's videos, in case, you're, in case any of you are at all getting this read, because it's not the case, but one of your YouTube videos, I think the thumbnail says not ambulance chasers. It's like one of your first one. And I love it because they're not. And so don't be thinking, oh, injury lawyer, ambulance chaser. That's not their injury attorneys who are there for us. Yeah. The I, workers who specialize in us. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. That's that is one of the first things that we that we hear, you know, there's, there's people who have preconceptions about personal injury attorneys, and there are some really snaky attorneys out there. I mean, I, mm-hmm. it, it is what it is. Um, but those are the the bottom feeders of the, the industry. What we try to pride ourselves in is being educated, being accessible, um, and, and being beneficial to the community. We, we have dived into this, um, like we were saying earlier, we're 10 years ago, we started with the, you know, the, the companies as they were rising, we started with the drivers as they were learning. I signed up for Uber, um, years ago to sit behind the wheel, just like my clients. Um, and we've put millions of dollars into our clients' pockets, getting them what they're entitled to. We, we've made sure that their medical bills get paid. We've recovered lost wages. Um, I walk the walk, I talk the talk. Um, and if, you know, if you want to, um, you know, think of the, the ambulance chaser, personal injury attorney, then that's unfortunate, but I can tell you that's, that's not the business we're in. We're, we're here for the community. Right. And that's, and I know that, and I have always told people that, but I also would like, so if somebody calls you from just throwing a dart here, have you done a case in Arizona? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. So if somebody calls you from Arizona, and they're like, this, this, and this happened, and you're you're gauging it or whatever. Is there a point where you say we can take that, or is there a point where you say I've got a guy in Arizona that I'll put you with? Yeah, every case is fact specific, and there are certain cases that we're going to be able to take on, you know, and, and handle ourselves. But what I've done is I've created a network of yeah. attorneys that I trust throughout the country. If I, you know, if we can't handle that case in Arizona. I, I got the person's head in or person's name in my head right now as to exactly who I'm going to send you to because I know that they're going to take care of you and they're going to be in contact with me throughout the case so that if there's some sort of issue that for whatever reason they're not sure how to deal with with the rideshare company or the you know the rideshare policy 
there's there's constant communication. So um, we can handle ourselves, or we can put you in the in touch with the right person. Awesome. Yeah. So this is a, oh, I think David was pulling it up too. Yeah, I pulling up the same comment. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so here from Ricky, you cannot protect rideshare drivers without proper regulation. I do not believe we are contractors or employees. We need a new classification that involves dealing with data transparency and rates. I mean, you're saying all the things that David and I fully believe in. Da transparency, huge. Um, you know, we need we need to understand the data, have our have access to it. Um, but the we have to be something. I understand. I've always said we need a hybrid, independent contractor definition before federal and now state legislation just goes nuts. But we have to be something. And so that second sentence is where I get a little confused. If we're not contractors or employees, what are we? Because we're making money. Yeah. No, I, I've actually talked about that hybrid model as well. I think that the current labor laws are outdated, that either you're an employee or an independent contractor, like that used to be the case. But most of these laws were written a century ago. And yeah, some of them date back to tort law. Right. And it's, it's, <laughs> so it's which like, is my, <laughs> I lost my bread and butter. Um, but it's, uh, I, I do think that it's time for policymakers to look at the current environment and see that there is a, you know, a middle ground. And we need a way for people to pay into the system to get the protections that are, that are 100% necessary that you get on the, um, it, the employee side. And we need also the independence of the independent contractor side, because we're never going back. These, um, yeah. what we're seeing with gig work, you know, 10 years ago, nobody would have expected it, it is what it is today, but it is. And it's, it's here to stay. So we've got to adapt. That's mm -hmm. why I like what you said earlier, like, what is the intent of all of this? And I feel like everyone's so arguing on like, it's this versus that. We're going to try and force a solution. And I'm like, at the end of the day, what's the intent that you're trying to accomplish? Uh, and I feel like that gets lost. We do have a question here from Chris, I think very specifically. Uh, what kind of insurance should we be using since personal vehicle insurance doesn't want to pay if they find out you're working when in an accident? That That's a great question. So buying the right insurance policy is really your top priority. I, I tell drivers all the time, there's two things you need to buy to do this work. One is a dash camera and two is to take out um, a rideshare endorsement on your personal policy. Drivers who try to hide the fact that they're doing rideshare when they pay when they sign up for their insurance policies are doing themselves a huge disservice and leaving themselves vulnerable. You should be going to every major insurance company and telling them, I'm a rideshare driver, I'm a delivery worker, I want to make sure that I have adequate coverage to First of all, make sure that any injury that I sustain is going to be covered, even if it's during a, um, like a, if it's a hit and run, if it's by an uninsured driver, if it's in period one where I'm vastly underinsured through the companies. Um, and there are policies that exist um, if you tell them what you're looking for. Shop around. A lot of drivers say it's too expensive. Well, that's probably because you went to just one company. Go to 10 companies. And you might have asked them out of the box for the entire commercial insurance, which you don't need. They have, some of them have more refined ones for gig workers. That's right. That's right. And another thing that you want to ask them about is, is there some sort of um, co uh, coverage to minimize the deductible? So 
when you get in an accident and you've got property damage through Uber or Lyft, in most states, that's a $2,500 deductible that you've got to pay to get that vehicle fixed. I've seen drivers like literally lose the roof over their heads because they can't pay the $2,500. That, that should not happen. If you took out the, the proper insurance to begin with, you could get that $2,500 deductible reduced to something much more manageable. So that's a long way of me saying, be honest with your insurance company about what you're doing. Don't cheap out and go with one of those cut rate companies that's just going to fight you on everything um, and ask for the proper coverage. You will pay more, but it's a cost of doing business. And when something does go wrong, because it will, that's part of this business, you're going to get hit at some point, you're going to be covered. So where Chris is saying Curry here, I'm not, I can't speak fully on freight, even though I'm on it and understand it. Um, I, I would need to go back and look, but with Curry, they have you 100% covered when you're doing a job for them. Yeah, we've had cases with Curry and, and we've actually been successful um, with workers' compensation, um, yeah. which is, I mean, that's, that's really something. So I would say, you know, if you're, if there's any chance that you're going to be doing work for a company where you're not covered by an occupational hazard policy, you really need to, to look into getting that rideshare endorsement. That's actually going to be sort of a question that I wanted to ask Brent was around sort of like occupational accident insurance, right? So I think Steve, I think the theme for the year, Steve has coined it is like the year of the other apps. Right. So I think, you know, DoorDash has been slow. Uber, Uber Eats have been slow. And we're seeing a lot more people moving to a delivered, moving to a deliver that, doing food catering apps, looking more at regional apps, you know, anything to get away uh, from these people. We just expanding and people are looking for other opportunities. And I guess this is sort of a bit of a maybe a wonky question on my end. Like, how do you view occupational accident insurance? If you're one of these companies, should they be providing that? I've seen some of these models where like, uh, they get drivers to pay for occupational accident insurance, or if you don't have your own insurance, it gets deducted from your payments. Like, uh, as a you know, as an attorney, how, how do you view all that? Well, first of all, I, I think that it's a good thing that we're starting to have the conversation about occupational hazard and occupational accident um, policies. I can tell you that, generally speaking, this is not true across the board. Occupational hazard policies are not as good as workers' compensation insurance. Um, they don't provide the same types of benefits. The, the benefits are limited. There are certain things that they will pay for and certain things that they won't. Like, for instance, um, some pay for physical therapy. Some don't pay for physical therapy. Um, so you got to be careful about what the coverage is and what you think your benefits are. You really need to know that. Um, in terms of who pays for it, Obviously, I'm going to say that the companies should foot the bill, but the fact that they're offering it, I think, is an, is a good start. And if you're working for a company that offers an occupational hazard policy and it's going to cost you a, a small percentage of your fare on each trip or your you know the, your paycheck or whatever, you should do it because it, it's going to be you're going to have to use it at some point, and it's it's insurance that's that's going to help ease the burden of whatever you're going through. Even if it's not perfect, it's going to help you um, not have the same medical bills that you would otherwise have or be able to supplement your income when you're off the job. So um, long story short, occupational hazard policies are not perfect, but I'm glad that we're starting to have that discussion. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, I mean, portable benefits, 
I know it's not perfect, but it sounds like what should go with the with the gig economy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, so I'm not exactly sure how it looks. It just sounds right because you are multi-apping. You are moving between things. So there would need to be a system in place to track how much active time you're on what. And- that was the part I always thought was interesting with prop, um, sorry, uh, prop 22, right? Was I think it's it's only, their hours only count if it's with one individual company. And I always thought that was interesting that like, I mean, if you hit 50 hours, you know, 40 hours, but realistically 50 hours with multiple companies, shouldn't that count also? And people chip in sort of like proportionally, but yeah. 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 It's the system is not perfect and we're still trying to figure it out. But to your point, David, it's, it's the intent. Like let's have these conversations. And as long as we're all coming in good faith, then we can figure out the details. Um, I think a lot of times drivers and driver advocacy groups, they all want to be the one to get, credit or to get it right like let's all get together and have the conversation because if we're not all moving in the same direction then we're stuck in place yeah and it's almost like if you're not in their camp you're not privy to know what they're talking about either right i'd like (laughs) more calls that's like there's so many conversations going on that maybe between everybody there would be faster actions but things things do change i think the one thing that always stuck with me is like when i worked at uber you had to accept pretty much all the trips, right? I remember I was literally one of the people who'd go in for my state and go set the policy, which are like, I'd run a bunch of math and queries and basically say, hey, we're gonna set it at 87%. If you don't accept 87% of trips, you're gonna get deactivated. I'd build a side flow that says, you then get 50 trips to accept 100% of your trips. And if you don't do that, you'll be fully deactivated, right? And it took like uh, a change in London for them to have a law there that changed here that basically said, hey, as an independent contractor, you should be able to reject trips. Now that just seems so obvious, right? I think everybody says that now, but I remember I was literally would set the rules that said, if you don't accept everything I tell you to, you're kicked off basically. So it's like things change. Uh, and I think we're yep. just gonna keep pushing it forward basically. Totally agree. So <clears throat> Brian, when when is the time for somebody to contact you for a consultation or like, you know, because I know that on the website, it you have, you know, how it relates to Uber and Lyft drivers, delivery drivers. Um, and I, we know delivery is tougher. That's a tougher thing to get involved because the last time even you and I talked, we were talking about how like Instacart doesn't even pay anything. So it's yeah, like, delivery you know, what's the point? If you're doing Instacart, don't even bother because it's all on you. Um, you know, but like, I know that you talk about, uh, you know, Amazon, other gig workers, bike share, scooter accidents, like everything. Like, so, I mean, outside of like bike share, scooter accident, because maybe those are very obvious when you'd call, but when should a gig worker call you? Because we all know you get in an accident, doing gig work, you're in a panic now. Yeah, we recommend that you call us immediately, really, because you want to have a consultation with an attorney who can at least explain the process to you and the, the way to, to talk to the insurance companies or even to the police, if you know, if you call that early, um, it's so, so what, it, so somebody does that, what's the advice when the police get there? If it's, if it seems a little even sketchy to the driver, maybe he thinks I didn't do anything wrong, but I feel like this might be said or that. What well, is their right to be able to say? Cause I don't want somebody saying, I saw a YouTube video and I have to tell you nothing pig, you know, cause we're <laughs> no. going to, yeah, guys don't do that. Yeah. You know, if you think that you're going to be like criminally liable for something, then you, you know, I should, I should give that caveat. You probably don't want to say much. Like if 
let me give a, a crazy example. You've been drinking and you're, you're Ubering. Shouldn't do that. Don't do that. But you also probably want to talk to a lawyer before you give a statement to the cops. Um, in terms of the accident claim that I'm talking about, right? you want to, um, you want a consultation early so that you can figure out how to present your, your case. Sometimes the way that you present a, a situation, the way you say it, vastly affects the outcome of, of the claim. So we have drivers who call us all the time and their minds are running really fast because they've, you know, this is a stressful situation and they're saying he came from over here and I was over here and, you know, the light was green, but then it was red. And then, and nobody, you can't really understand how the accident happened. And if that's the way that you're presenting the accident to the police officer, that report might not be written favorably to you. Even though the other driver's the one who ran the red light and you were just proceeding straight through the intersection with a green. So what I'll do when I get that call is I'll say, you know, Steve, slow down. Let's let's really sort this out. Let's, what street were you on? Okay. What was the speed limit? Were you approaching an intersection? What color was your light? Where did, what street was the other driver on? Which direction were they traveling? Did they have a light? So we'll, we'll slow it down will flesh out the facts. And then all of a sudden this, you know, this tangent that this person was telling me five minutes earlier is a, is a accurate, truthful, condensed story of the facts of the case. And when you can present it that way to the police officer or to the insurance company, you've got a much better chance of having a successful claim. We didn't change anything about what happened. We just changed how we were delivering the message. Well, that's what I, I guess even part of me is, is, is asking because, okay, people with English as a second language, the police officer gets there, writes the report, they meet with you. It wasn't their fault at all, but you're reading the report and you're like, well, he put it as your fault. And they're like, no, no, no. Yeah. And that's, you know, most of the time you're not going to be able to, to talk to a lawyer before you talk to the cop. Yeah, exactly. The cops are, are right there. Um, but the, the advice that I would give, anybody, whether English is your second language or not, is take a moment to really slow down, think about the facts of the occurrence. I'll tell you, I got rear-ended a year ago, just like a very minor event. And I, but we, you know, we called the police, the police came. And before the police came, I took out my phone and I pulled out the, the notes document and I wrote down what happened. I said, I was sitting at the light I, you know, the light was red. I was stopped. I wasn't moving out of nowhere. I feel the, the hit from behind, just collecting your thoughts and putting your thoughts in simple sentences helps you deliver the message that that's going to help you convey the situation in the, in the most accurate way. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you hand that when I saw the Amazon and other gig work, is that, was that put as a different tab? because you handle those differently. Are you talking about like Amazon warehouse? Yeah. So we've recently started um, for the same reason that we started legal rideshare. We, we've started helping Amazon um, delivery and warehouse workers because it's this kind of wild west out there where nobody really knows what they're entitled to. And um, we started to get calls from, from those workers, particularly the Amazon flex drivers is where it started. That's much more gig like, mm -hmm. um, but a lot of those workers actually have jobs in the factories or 
or with a, a delivery truck. So um, we've spilled over a little bit there. Um, so I wouldn't call it separate, but it, it is a, you know, depending on if you're flex or warehouse, it might be a little bit different type of case. But basically contact you immediately. Is there, are there the reasons people shouldn't, I don't want to say it this way, because you never know, maybe there's something that they are leaving out and they don't email you, but is there reasons they should not contact you? There's no reason to not contact us. The consultation okay. is always free. So if you call me up and you present me with a set of facts or something that I, I might not handle, no skin off either of our backs. Um, I'd rather you call and, and get the consultation or ask the question um, because we our goal is to provide resources and information and protection to workers. So if, if I can help you, I want you to call. And if I can, it's not going to cost either of us anything. So there's just no reason not to. Yeah. Um, and that's how I see it too. You know, is that there's everything here is, uh, is, I don't know if I, if, if something happens to me during gig work, I'm calling you right away. So for those of you that know me, this is who I'm calling right away. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I, do. I, I know that, but I know that Steve has that because sometimes we've had like a couple of people get like mad at me about something before. And he's like, I'm going to, he's basically just like, you know, he goes, I'm going to go to legal rights here and have to do something. So I know when he thinks of a problem, the first person he's thinking of is you like, don't bother him. We're okay. Right. You don't have to. <laughs> you better watch out, David. <laughs> no, he was trying to protect me. He was trying to protect oh, me. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's just like, Brian's got your back. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. You guys need anything. So, hey, guys, I really appreciate the- Well, that's, and that's, Brian's, Brian's going to wrap it up for us here as, as I was doing it. So that is a wrap for the week. <laughs> David, I want to thank you um, and everybody- who is watching and listening on the new audio podcast. I want to thank Bryant for joining us. If you get in any uh, legal trouble, guys, hit up legalrideshare.com or you can find them on all the social platforms as well. Um, until next week, guys, be safe, um, earn smart, and uh, peace. Bye.